0: Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The Skipper, Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera.
1: Thanks for joining us, everybody. It's America's Best Baseball Podcast. I'm Rich Herrera. That's the Skipper, Kevin Kennedy. Skip, um, I do this show today with a very heavy, broken heart at the news that baseball lost one of its, one of its innovators, I think, in the last 50 years, a man by the name of Ken Revisa. You've never read about him in the box score? You never read about him in Baseball America. Well, maybe a Baseball America, Baseball Encyclopedia. He's not gonna have a bubble gum card, but he is probably as responsible for a renaissance that we're seeing in baseball as much as anybody else in the game. He was the mental coach, the team psychologist, if you will, with Joe Madden in the Chicago Cubs. He passes away uh, this week of a heart attack. He was a dear friend of mine, someone that that you knew, and someone that the game. Uh, You look out on Twitter, you read some of the stories that were written by Mark Gonzalez in the Chicago Tribune. Bob Nightingale had a wonderful piece in uh, USA Today on how much he meant to these players, the game, and the differences that he's made in baseball.
2: Yeah, I I have known Ken an awful long time, not just back when he was with Tampa Bay. I know he got close to Joe Madden. For people that don't know, he worked with the Cal State Fullerton College Ball Club uh, at the very beginning. In fact, he taught sports psychology. Um, in, in at Cal State Fullerton back uh, many years ago. And of course, uh, the Angels, he started working with the Angels as well, which is right around the corner from that college. Joe Madden became a friend of his. Joe Madden got him over to Tampa Bay for many years, helping uh, certain players. I remember in specifics, uh, he was working with Matt Garza because Matt had a tendency to think about the negative as he was in the middle of his windup. And, and he had certain drills. And Rich, you can go a little bit deeper into that if you want as far as some of the things that he that he taught. Um, I've talked to Ken many times about it, but he had different ways of trying to forget the negative and keep positive thoughts into your mind. And there are many um, guys. Harvey Dorfman was another one. There's books been written about the mental edge of uh, side of baseball. I know the Oakland A's with Carl Keel uh, many years ago uh, and Harvey, they wrote a book going back, my goodness, into the 80s. That was really the first book I remember reading about sports psychology and how many pitchers and players period that they helped with in the Oakland A's organization. It went around major league baseball while well, all teams had some version of a sports psychologist. We had one in Montreal that Dan Duquette hired. Um, everybody's had him Every, every team has had a But Ken is right at the top of the list. And even Justin Turner put out a tweet the other day that he would not be in the big leagues Right now, had it not been for Ken Revisa, which is quite a quite a statement uh, for the, those that don't know, Justin did go to Cal State. Fullerton was a very good player there. There was a time when the team got off to a bad start. I'll tell you a quick side story about Ken team got off to a, what for them was a bad start because they were a world champion uh, you know, collegiate champion type right. ball club for many years. And this particular season, they were off to a 15 and 16 start. And a lot of the guys uh, had some negative thoughts going on, you know, worrying about things and thinking about the negatives while they're at the home, at home plate or as a pitcher trying to make a delivery. You made a bad pitch, and you, you can't get that out of your mind. And Ken put, a, uh, a I guess, a mock toilet in the dugout. And bottom line is that he wanted the guys after a bad pitch or a bad at-bat or a bad inning was to flush that out of your mind, turn the page, and start new. On the very next at bat or the very next pitch, and I thought that was a, a pretty good way to uh, get a not only a mental picture of it but a physical picture of, of hey, flush it, flush it away, you know, let it roll down your back, forget about it, turn the page. Easier said than done, but I thought that was a, a really cool story. And then they, from that point on, once he did that, I think the team went something like 31 and five after that. So, is there something to that from a guy that? played this game and really struggled at times after leading, you know, the PCAA and hitting one year at at San Diego state. And then my, that was my junior year and my senior year, finishing second. And and for a guy that went from rookie ball for three weeks after I got signed, jumped a ball, went to double a, and all of a sudden became a two twenty hitter that particular year. Anyway, my first year signing as a pro, I can tell you, it's a very mental game. It's a very mental game because all of a sudden, because I went to double A after doing well in rookie ball and I got off to a bad start, my first 40 some odd at bats in double A, I think I was, I went two for four in my first game. And after that, I went two for 38, Rich. Mm. And I thought, I called home. I said, I don't think I can play. All of a sudden you had all these negatives. You're going, my God, these guys are double A. I jumped two levels. Even though I was a college guy out of San Diego State that led the division in hitting, I was always a good catcher, but I was a pretty good hitter, too. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I I wasn't hitting double-A pitching, and I started doubting myself. And, and That
1: reminds me of the Mickey Mantle story. Mickey, when he was playing in the minor leagues, called his dad Mutt and said, Dad, I don't think I could play. Mutt said, I'll be right there. Mutt showed up from Commerce, Oklahoma, walked in, grabbed Mickey's suitcase, started throwing all the stuff in there. And he goes, Dad, 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 what are you doing? He goes, I didn't raise no quitter. Come on, you're going to come work in the, in the mines with me yeah. if you can't hack it. And that's the thing that got Mickey past. It. He goes, no, I don't want to go work in the mines like you and, and everybody that, uh, that came before us. And, and that's what snapped him out of his out of his stumbling. Yeah,
2: I read that story. It's a great story. And I'll tell you a quick one. Oral Hershiser in AA, San Antonio, playing for Ducky LeJohn. I think it was 1980 or 81, because I was there in 82 playing with Oral and AAA, and uh, he was doing great that year as a reliever. But I, my, my teammates in 82 told me before I got to know Oral very well, and then Oral told me later on, once I got to know Oral, we used to go out to lunch. A few of us were pretty close. Greg Brock, myself, Oral Hersazer, or a guy named Dale Holman, et cetera. We're all good friends. And we also used to hang out together and go to lunch together on the road, et cetera. And Oral admitted it. He goes, yeah, I quit in AA. I quit. I told Ducky LeJohn, I, I can't play this game. I'm, I, I wasn't throwing strikes. I mentally was spent. It wasn't about his stuff. It was about upstairs. And, and uh, they talked him out of quitting, and the rest is history. You know, uh, eight years later, he becomes the best pitcher in Major League Baseball, breaks Don Drysdale's record for consecutive uh, scoreless innings that he put up. He broke – Don's was, what, 58 and two-thirds, and the right. went 59. And they, he wins, a, you know, a world championship. So uh, all of it was mental. So from there, Rich, you take it from there, because there's some really drills that Ken used to do. And I know he's described a lot of them to me. Do you have a couple that stand oh, out I, to you.
1: you? the first thing. So I used to sit on the, on the charter with him. So he was kind enough to let me sit. And, and Kevin uh, probably has explained this uh, before on, on a podcast on Satellite Radio for us, but everybody has their own row. Yeah. And if you're someone who doesn't normally travel at the ball club, Sometimes you have to double up, and nobody wants to double up. You want your own row. You want, uh, you want your space. Ken was right. always kind enough. As I'm standing around looking for a place to sit, hey, Richie, come sit with me. And we would have the most amazing conversations on, on flights across the country. And the I first bet. thing he taught me was be comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm like, what? Be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's something that I've drilled into my son Rigney's head for the last 10 years. And what he said was, there's really no such thing as a clutch hitter. People that do well in the clutch don't hit above their average. They just do what they normally do in an everyday situation. But what he says is people get uncomfortable in that moment, and the ones that are able to, like a Derek Jeter, they're comfortable in that moment knowing that they're uncomfortable. They accept it. They don't let it overwhelm them, and they're just comfortable being uncomfortable. Like, wow, what a way an ama- uh, amazing way to do that. So Matt Garza is a guy that his emotions would get the best of him.
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah, and, Matt Matt would turn a one-run inning into a four-run inning just like that.
1: And what, what he did was he got he, – he and, in fact, Kevin, I did this with Rigney this year uh, when he was trying out for the high school baseball team. Uh, Matt wrote something in his hat, in the bill of his cap that would remind him to refocus and, and get that's all right. that negative energy out of the way. I did the that's same right. thing with Rigney. I said, well, the moment gets too big for you, step off the mound, walk to the back of the mound, take your cap off, look at whatever you write. Don't share with anybody because that's your thing. That's not for that's everybody right. else. That's your thing. And that's what right. Garza said. That's my thing. I'm not sharing with anybody. Look at that. Take a deep breath, refocus, jump back on top of the bump, and let's go. That's something that the taught Matt Garza that turned his career around. My, my favorite, my favorite too, Scott Casper. I've told this story before, Kevin, that Cas was a guy that would give up a home run, and then he would think about it, and he, and he just, again, let a one-run inning turn into a 10-run inning. Right. So yep. Ken had him on top of the mound, and he said, okay, throw a baseball, you just gave up a home run, what are you thinking about? And, you know, uh, Kaz lets all the negative uh, thoughts come into his head. Ken goes, I got a baseball for you, here. Hands him up, two baseballs taped together, and Kaz says, I can't throw this. And Ken says, well, that's what you're doing, because you're still holding on to that baseball that you just gave up the bomb to, and you're trying to throw this one. You're trying to throw two pitches at the same time, and it helped him get past that, letting those moments get too big for him on the mound. There's a great one if you ever watch Evan Longoria hit. Longoria, when he takes a bad swing, you'll see him step out of the box. He undoes mm-hmm. his batting gloves, which lets that last swing go away, puts him back on, and laces him back up, says, okay, time to get back of the box. That last one's out of the way. When he goes back after a hit or an A-B, he'll walk to the dugout. You'll see him sit there for a couple minutes thinking about that at bat. As soon as he takes off his gloves, that at bat is over and now it's time that's to get great. ready for the next at-bat, and he climbs back up on the rail and he cheers. But he gives himself that moment to think about the at-bat, but as soon as those gloves are off, you're not thinking about anything else except that next at-bat. And, and I think he was the one who taught me that frustration is concentration over something that's already happened.
2: That's great. That's great stuff. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that, and I, I did know that about a lot of players, not just Evan Longoria. The guy, reason guys do that, they undo their gloves like that is to start start over and a lot of that is from a lot of the teachers around major league baseball that have helped guys uh, forgetting about the bad at bat or the bad swing and getting ready for a new swing okay, yeah that's so a, take, that's take, a, that's a, that's, a, that's the mental side right there
1: so take me inside the game a little bit how hard is that i mean you and i say it oh it's so easy let the last one go but listen kevin i know when i get upset and i start concentrating about something that's already happened and i start getting frustrated it is hard to get yourself mentally uh, out of that funk tell us what it's like when you're standing there and you're in the middle of that slump and you're struggling and the more the the more you try the less results you get and it just becomes yeah. overwhelming
2: well you always hear in today's game and many organizations trust the process you'll hear that from dave roberts you'll hear that from gabe kapler Jim you'll that. You Joe Madden, you'll hear that phrase, which we didn't hear back in, you know, when I signed in the 70s and played in the 80s, et cetera. You didn't hear that kind of stuff. You didn't have mental coaches back then. That was, it was kind of taboo. In fact, hitting coaches and roving hitter coaches and old old school baseball guys from that era would kind of scoff at it, you know, get in there and swing the bat and see the ball and hit the ball, you know, that type of thing. Um, Knowing darn well that the mental part of it was, has always been part of sports not just baseball but hitting a baseball is still the hardest thing to do at least that I've ever tried to do in sports and I've played all, of, all the different sports and uh, that's the hardest thing to do because the pitcher knows what he's throwing and if he throws 100 miles an hour and he's got a slider and a curveball and a change up and a two-seamer to go with that I mean he's got a pitch that can move in all different directions at different velocities and different differentials of velocities And you've got to be able to see that ball and and hit it and square it up within less than 0.4 tenths of a second if he throws a you know, 98 to 100 miles an hour. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to get negative when 3 out of 10 is success. And I don't mean 3 out of 10 hitting the ball. I mean 3 out of 10 that are clean hits, base hits. Right. So, for me, when you're going through a slump, to me, what happened in my day, Rich, um, it was so tough to get out of. And it wasn't just that one year. Then I became a pretty good player after that uh, beginning I told you about. Went to Instructional League and all that. And then once I got to AAA, I had an all-star year in 1978. And then I had a really terrible year the next year because I was thinking about the big leagues that I didn't make the club. And at the catcher ahead of me got a five-year extension, which was out of my control. Instead of worrying about myself, I was worried about somebody else. And that's what I learned that particular year. And I had a terrible year in Triple I don't even want to say the batting average. You can look it up if you want. But that was mental. It wasn't physical. Point being, um, what I was seeing when, it, when I was going through negative times, I was seeing, you know, instead of eight fielders out there, I was seeing 16. Every mm. time I hit a ball, I knew that somebody was going to catch it. I had that in my mind before I even swung the bat. And that's why visualization became very important. It, it worked for me. It helped me to visualize. When I've had good times and good years, I used to visualize. And that was something that the Dodgers taught and a lot of organizations teach. <clears throat> but um, it was something that Scott Boris, God rest his soul, that when he came to the Dodgers, he was very in, in uh, influential with. Sid Thrift was very much involved with this. And I know his son, I think, lives in Florida and and maybe even listens to our podcast Rich. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I don't know if you know Sid's th- son, but but he's a good man, but Sid was very much involved with um, the mental side of the game as well and eye tests and looking at these vectorgrams and, and really training your eyes and, and really positive thinking, etc. And uh, what got me going was visualizing the picture when I'd be in the on deck circle because I knew my mechanics once I had my mechanics down then I didn't worry too much about it. I knew that, you know, technically I was doing things right. Now I had to change my mechanics because when I first came up, there were, there were reasons why I didn't hit a good inside fastball. I blocked my hips because I had a closed stance and I was a diver. So I had to open my stance and learn later how to clear my hips. And and which is what we talk about a lot today in major league baseball, you know, that the, the lower half of the body and the core becomes so important. The hips open up and get the hands through. It's not the other way around. The hams don't get the hips through. The hips get the hands through, et cetera. Right. Anyway, that's the technical side. But once you get that down and you know, your sw- your swing is right and your timing is right. But let's say you're hitting the ball hard at people. Now you don't, it's easier to flush that because you know, you're hitting balls at people. All right. Um, I'm going to keep doing that because the process is working. The process is right. And eventually those balls are going to find holes and I'm going to hit one and hit one out of the ballpark, or I'm going to find a gap where nobody's at, etc. cetera. So um, to me, a lot of visualization helped me. I visualize if I was facing a guy like, let's say, who pick a name, Rich. And,
1: oh man. I've, I'm just trying to think who would, who would give you nightmares. Uh, let's we'll, say Kershaw. Let's yeah, say Kershaw. I'm facing
2: Kershaw. All right. I know that. If he gets to two strikes, his slider, it's going to be a very tough pitch to recognize and lay off of it when his slider is on. His curveball I'm going to eliminate because he throws it 10% of the time and it's not the percentages aren't there with you to look for it. So you're going to look fastball first pitch up, which is why historically Clayton has had some decent numbers against him on first pitch fastballs. When if, you if when sit are,
1: there and you get ready to ambush him, especially if he wants to go belt right. high.
2: Right. And now, of course, he's learned that and now he knows he needs to spot that first pitch rather than just throw a cookie down the middle. But point being, I would visualize myself doing it before it happened in the on deck circle. I said, you know, I'm going to get this early in the count and I know where I'm going to get it. I'm going to visualize myself rifling a ball to right center field. (laughs) And it happened and it happened so many times. Not enough times for me, obviously, but it happened many times where I do that. I go up to the plate. And I would do exactly that, and I would think to myself on on first base or second base, if I got a double, I go, did I really do that? Did that really work? Or is that just a fluke? Well, you start believing in it when it happens you know, uh, more than once. You know what I mean? So it, it's really a mental game. The mental side of it is so important. Double-
1: Kevin, let's go back for for just a little bit to the old school way. It used to be, oh, that guy was soft. He can't grind. That guy's mentally weak. Let's get rid of him. Now we actually understand, and it goes back to that Yogi Berra quote, that 90% of the game, baseball is is 90% mental and the other half is physical, that it's just overwhelming, that it's your attitude, it's your mental well-being that will turn out whether you're going to have success in this game or not.
2: Well, here's the thing I wanted to say is that, because I had a lot of failures as a hitter in baseball and I I should have been a much better hitter than I was. I had some successes. Don't get me wrong. I had some good years. I had an all-star year in AAA and I thought I was going to be in the big leagues. Um, and I had a year where I hit really bad. And then the next year I came back and hit 70 points higher. Um, a lot of it had to do with mental, a lot of it, because I, I learned to get the negative thoughts out of my head. And what, what my point is, what it made for me when I got a second chance to manage it made me a better manager because I was not a negative manager. When I went to the mound and talked to a pitcher, I never used the word, well, you can't walk this guy. you got to pitch around this guy. You can't make a mistake on this guy. Can't, can't, can't. Those are all I negatives. Didn't, I didn't use negative words. I said, and I remember going out to talk to Jeff Supon one time. He was a rookie, came up from A. We're facing the Cleveland Indians, 1995. Bases loaded one out. Jeff's having a little bit of a rough inning. He was a reliever then for us. I think he started one or two games as well. Albert Bell was up, who had a year where he hit 50 home runs that year. He was phenomenal. I had the infield come in. I said, now, John Ballantin, I said, you slide over into the hole at short. I said, Jeff, you throw that good slider you've got. I said, Albert's going to hit this ball to short, and we're going to get a 6-4-3 double play. Louis Salisea was my second baseman. Mo Vaughn was there as my first baseman. Tim Nearing was my third baseman. I got the guys together, and that's exactly what I said. I went back to the dugout, and, Rich, I'm not lying when I say this. First pitch slider, ground ball to Valentin, 6-4-3 double play. We get out of the inning. No no run scored. What did he say when he
1: came off the field?
2: He just, like, looked at me and shook his head and said, man, you really, really know these guys. And Mo Vaughn used to come up to me because I used to do that often. Mo Vaughn would go. I said – you know, I used to tease Mo. We were, we were really close. I used to tease Mo. I said, what are you doing here? You know, you don't, you don't listen to defense. You, you, just, you just swing the bat. You know, I would laugh at him, you know, tease him. But Mo would start coming up to me and stand next to me sometimes during the inning. He'd say, what do you got now, Skip? What do you see? What's going to happen now? And I would tell him. And it's because of positive thought, yes. But it's also because uh, I was going to talk about Joey town, I used to say a line, Joey used to say a line, luck is the residue of design. Mm. And and I, I never forgot that. And I said, you know, and I used to say something called knowledge and preparation um, is also the residue of design. It can it can it create, uh, if you want to call it luck, that's fine, but I call it preparation. Knowledge and preparation right. can, can equal success. So it's a combination of all that that right. I learned from the minor leagues, from managing in the minors and and failing as a hitter in the minors, and then having some success in the minors. So all that came into play for me as a manager, where I learned not to do that, not to, not to say you can't do this. Because when I got to double A, when I first got to A, I was a Joe Rudy type hitter. And for people that don't know who I'm talking about, I was a closed stance hitter, extremely closed. Back in those days in the 70s, a lot of guys had closed stance stances, but I couldn't hit the inside fastball until I started opening up and learned that I was a diver. Now, if you were a guy that didn't dive with your front leg and did a natural stride toward the pitcher, then you could clear your hips, but I didn't do that. On top of being closed, I also dove across the plate. Right, so you kept yourself cut off. I was cut off, so that's why I could hit the ball middle away very well, and that's why I could hit a slider down away. Because that's where you were going. And hit a rocket to right center field, right. But in big league and professional baseball, they found out very quickly where the hole was. And I, it took me a while to learn how to make an adjustment. Open but up your hips, get your hand, through will be able to pull that ball on the exactly. inside. Exactly. Open up my setup is what I had yeah. to do. Because once I did that, I didn't have to worry about my stride. Your stride is what your stride is. Once I opened up, you can't guide where your front leg goes. You can't just say, now stride this way one time, stride this way another time. You can't do that. You got to do it by how your setup is to begin with. And once I opened up and had my base set up correctly, now I did more normal stride, which was still a dive, except with an open stance, my dive was toward the pitcher. And now which, I could get around on that. And now I could clear my hips on an inside pitch and I could still have, have the outside pitch covered because I had my back foot. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds like play. play coverage. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Skip, my, well,
1: yeah. Here's one thing that I think everybody has probably you've probably got this question a million times. But this goes back to the mental part of the game because we're talking about our, our dear departed friend Ken Revisa going to the mound to give a pitcher a mental blow, just giving them a chance to, to, to have the world stop spinning so quickly. Talk to us about what happens when you go out there and how you lighten the mood or break the tension.
2: You, you slow it down is what you did. I'll take a, a John Wetland story in AA All-Star Game who was a guy that would walk a lot of guys, had great stuff, wasn't sure of himself yet as a professional Yeah, but in AA, he made the All-Star team. I'm managing the All-Star game in in AA, Arkansas. This is 1988, playing for the San Antonio Dodgers. And John gets off to a bad start against the American League All-Stars that year. You know, we were the National League, et cetera. And the American League had guys like uh, Greg Vaughn in their lineup, for example, when the Brewers were, uh, you know, in the uh, American League back then. Right and greg was one of the all-stars i remember specifically but anyway john ends up walking the bases loaded to start the game so i go out to the mound instead of getting mad at john because i knew him and knew his personality i had had him for four or five years in different levels in the minors i went out to the mound and i started smiling and he thought he had his head down thought i was going to get mad at him what are you scared or what you know this is the all-star game this is your chance and you're throwing you know walking guys 12 balls in a row et cetera, whatever I didn't do that. I said, hey, John, I said, man, are, you should be having the time of your life. Are you having a lot of fun right now? And I was very light, light, and he started cracking that smile. I said, come on, have some fun. The results will be there. Your stuff is that good, but have some fun. That's all I want to see you do is have a good time out here. Enjoy this moment because, you, you know, it's going to happen again for you at some other level. But you're here now, so enjoy this moment and have a good time. And I left the mound.
1: You didn't tell him, bend your back, nope. your arm slot, nothing mechanics, nope. just, hey, lighten nope.
2: up. And he goes on to get out of that first inning. I don't remember if he struck out the side or not, but I think he struck out a couple, got out of that inning, and we ended up winning that game. But he never forgot that. Mm. And, and I'll, I'll tell you another time in the big leagues, related to the thing I said with Jeff Supon a few minutes ago. In Cleveland, in the playoffs in 1995, we had taken a lead 2-0. They tied it and went ahead 3-2 to late in the game. <clears throat> Clemens was pitching well, came out of the game though in that inning. Luis Alcea tied it in the eighth inning with a home run. It's 3-3. We go into the top of the 11th or 12th. Tim Nehring gets a home run to left field. We go ahead 4-3. Bottom of that inning. Finally bring my closer in. Hadn't used him. It started raining again. It had rained two hours before the game. We had a two-hour delay. Ricky Aguilera slips on the mound warming up. Tore his hamstring. Didn't realize it. Still had him in the game. He hangs a split to Albert Bell. He ties the game with a home run to left center field. Anyway, bottom line, Aguilera had to come out of the game. Right. Game, go, game goes on a couple more innings. And the next inning is uh, Zane Smith, who was a sinker ball pitcher. He was my last pitcher, really, on the, on the staff. Near the end of his career. They had loaded the bases with one out. And up comes Eddie Murray. And Zane's in the bullpen. I forget who was pitching in that 12th inning or whatever it was. But um, I looked at the stats, and this is where I did believe in analytics. I looked at the numbers, and batting right-handed against uh, Zane Smith, Eddie Murray was like in his career was 1-for-23 with 17 groundouts. So I looked at that, and I said, all right, we're going to turn Eddie around, and we're going to get a ground ball. Zane was a sinker ball pitcher as it was. I went to the mound. Very calm and cool, collected, got everybody together. Tim Nairing, John Valentin, Luis Alessia, Mo Vaughn, Zane Smith, my catcher, Mike McFarlane. I said, hey, guys, here's what's going to happen. Zane, you're going to throw that good sinker on the outside corner. Eddie's going to roll over. I said, the left side, I said, Tim, we're going to play the infield in. I said, Tim, to Nehring, I said, he's coming your way, though. I said, so we're going to go home to first for the double play. Going to be three outs, and we're going to get another at bat in the top of the thirteenth inning. <laughs> Guess what happened? Like you read it, two a tee. I'm not kidding when I make this up. You can go back and look it up on Google or YouTube or whatever you want. And and that's exactly what I said to him. And I went back, and it happened. And and Mo Vaughn <laughs> told me later, you know, the next year and different times, and Bounted Ball- would say it too. He goes, you. I don't know how you do it. He said, but you would say stuff and it would happen. And he goes, how do you do that? You have, you know, this mental telepathy. How ESP, <laughs> whatever. PSP? I said, I said, Mo, I said, first of all, I wanted to put positive thoughts and have you guys prepared for the situation. And it was my job to do that. It was not my job to get mad and panic and say, gosh, darn it. We walked two guys in that inning. You got to throw strikes here. No, That's it was my job. It was my job to lead. The best I could with the knowledge I had, the preparation that I had, knowing the hitter, knowing the the, uh, pitcher and also knowing the stats, a little bit of analytics as well. All of that. The eye test. The preparation I had, the knowledge of my guys, I knew what they were capable of and I knew what Zane was capable of. And I said, that's why that happened. And I said, I knew what the odds were with Eddie hitting a rolling over a ground ball. So I I put all that together. And you mentally you you you
1: kind of you thought through it, you you mentally pictured yeah. it in your head.
2: And I put a mental picture in your guys head. That's what I did on purpose. Wow. I wanted I wanted you guys to see what I was seeing. You're a heck of said, a storyteller, Skip. I said it wasn't mental telepathy or ESP, it was preparation. It was mm. and that's where experience comes in. If you've never managed before, never been in that situation, you couldn't do that. But only because I had experience managing so many different levels, so many different places. That's why the better managers, are, to me, are guys that have experience because they've already, they've already seen that situation wow. as, a man, as a manager.
1: That's awesome. And you know what? Um, and, and I look at the way the game is now, and again, I'm going to credit my, my dear friend Ken Reviza for changing the attitude and opening up this whole new part of our game. And so, Skip, do you mind? I want to share a story with you.
2: I want you to. I want you to share it. All Go right, everybody ahead. Everybody else. So I've shared it. I've talked enough now. I've it. <laughs> you know, as we do these shows, that just came to mind, and it's really important to tell that. I'm not patting myself on no, the back. No, no, no. I love these stories. It's it's a, these are true stories that are worth sharing because with with the knowledge, preparation, positive thinking, right, being prepared, using a little bit of analytics as well. Yeah. And you know, that's a good matchup. Let's do it. Not just hey, he hits this against lefties, 171. It wasn't that. It said he actually had 17 ground balls lifetime against Zane Smith, and he was one for 23.
1: And it, was, it set itself up perfectly.
2: So I brought him in because if they score, the game's over. But I thought my our best chance to play another inning and advance this game was exactly that, to bring him in and play the infield in, and, and that's exactly it, what happened. And, and, and the United ball, about, by the way, yes? not hit hard enough. Had we played back for a double play, it was not hit hard enough to turn two going around the horn.
1: Well, that so, that's the
2: perfect part of
1: visualization. You visualized it, and they did as well. Exactly. All right. So let me tell you the story real quick. And, and this is a Ken Revisa story. So you and I have been fortunate, Skip. I mean, uh, in your broad, in your in your playing career, in your coaching career, and then your broadcasting career, you've had more good times than bad times. But there's every once in a while where you know you scuffle a little bit, right?
2: Absolutely, you bet.
1: Uh, myself included. I've been so fortunate in my broadcasting career. I've worked at some of the best radio stations. I've worked in baseball for 20 years. And I really, really, really consider myself to be blessed uh, to have the, the broadcasting career that I've had. But there's also been some downs. And, and you and I, and you, you know this, so I'm not sharing anything with you, but I'll share with everybody else because this is my Ken Revisa story that I share with more people than anything else, is um, there was a time where... I was working for CBS, my, our station got sold. So I got laid off and I was struggling to try to find a full-time job. So I'm working a bunch of part-time jobs to make ends meet. And I'm, you know, barely skating by and I'm just not feeling good. Cause I'm not getting telephone calls back. I'm auditioning and I'm not getting jobs and I'm just, I'm just starting to panic. Right. And, and I, and I start feeling down and it just kind of goes, it kind of, like you said, when you went, you know, Two for 38, and you start feeling it and you start pressing. Right. Now I'm really pressing and I'm really feeling awful. Like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna find a job again. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna take care of my family? And I started to get really depressed. So I said, you know what, there's one guy I gotta talk to. So I reached out to Ken Revisa. And I said, Ken, I'm I'm just not feeling it right now. I just I'm struggling mentally, I'm struggling physically. Things just aren't going well for me right now. And I said, I I don't think my my career is in the toilet. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, what? And I said, Ken, I I just, he goes, I just heard you with Kevin Kennedy yesterday on Sirius XM on Sunday afternoon. I said, yeah, but, you know, I I can't find a full-time job. And he goes, stop. And he goes, let me tell you something. He goes, do you think there's anybody out there in the world that wishes they were Rich Herrera? And I said, no, nobody wants to be me. And he goes, are you sure about that? And I said, he goes, do you think there's some kid in Iowa that's wanted to break into broadcasting. That just heard you yesterday working with, with Kevin on XM. And you and I had done that. Remember, we did those Sunday yeah. shows? Yeah, we sure did. Yep. And he said, Don't you think there's somebody out there that wishes they could trade places with you right now because you have achieved so much and you're on Sirius
2: XM? That's I'm a like, great way to put it. Absolutely. And I'm like, K-
1: uh, Ken, I never thought about that. He goes, You're worried about what's above you instead of appreciating what you have and realizing there are people that look up to you. And I said, I, wow, I, I never thought great. about that. And he goes, listen, today's going to be, t- you're having a pretty crappy day. I said, yep. He goes, make it the best crappy day you can because tomorrow's going to be a different day. It might be crappy, but tomorrow's always going to be different. If that's a crappy day, you make that the best crappy day because there's something around the corner that's going to come for you.
2: And that's oh my, great. Wow. Oh my
1: God. It, it just put my mindset. And so whenever I have a bad day, i like, I think it can. I'm like, I know the best crappy day I can. And I've actually given that advice to people that have struggled to find work and have, have had challenges in their life, and it is something that um, I am grateful to that man for sharing that with me.
2: That's a great story, Rich. That is really, and it's so true. It yeah. absolutely is true because he's right. There are a lot of people that wish they were you, wish they were did have the career you've had so far, and you've got a long ways to go as well. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when Fox ended for me in um, – had an eight year run with Mm Jeannie's Alaska on the national show and the market, the stock market and the economy was in the tank back in 08. And, and there wasn't a sponsor for our show. And Fox wanted to save some money because a hundred people worked on that pregame show we used to do back in the studio. I remember Jeannie had a meeting with Ed Gorn. We knew when we were in Philadelphia, that's the year they played the Rays by the way in in the world series. And I didn't know anybody in Tampa Bay other than Joe Madden and you of course. Yeah. But I remember Ed Gorn coming up to me out before the last game, and you know we kind of felt like it wasn't going to go back to Tampa Bay. And he uh, kissed the top of my head, and I said, I said, I think I know what that is. That's a kiss of death, isn't it? And he said, well, he said, yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance uh, we're not going to have a show next year. Uh, they had Fox next year, but they didn't have a pregame show anymore.
1: Right, I remember that.
2: And then Jeannie had a meeting with him after the World Series the next week. And then she called me and I I knew and she goes, that's it. We're done. It's over. And I still had other work. I had Sirius XM and all that, but it wasn't about that. It was about that was a really big part of our life. You know, that Saturday show, that was a really big deal. It was a national show. I mean, it was it was fun to do. It was baseball. It was something I did. And I know exactly what what you mean. And I just said, you know what, I'm not going to I'm going to use the experiences I tried to use with my players that are stories I just told you about not being negative. And all of a sudden, um, I put a, I saw that Joe McGrain had gone from the Rays to MLB and left his job as a color analyst with Dwayne Stats. And I knew Dwayne because we worked together at ESPN. And so mm-hmm. I had my representative. I said, you know, there's a couple of openings. I found out the nationals had a job. And, which is part of Masson, and the Rays, there was an opening, and I see, you know, I have some relationships there. I didn't know anybody at the Nationals. And lo and behold, Rich, I got both offers. <laughs> I, got, I got a three-year offer from the Nationals to do 150 games. But Fox, uh, it was a Fox affiliate in Tampa Bay, and I right. still had some Fox contracts doing some Internet work for them, et cetera, and I didn't want to lose that. Because Masson wanted me to drop everything with Fox. Now, it was a great deal with Masson. It was a three year deal the first year and first year, first three years. And then there were some options in there, et cetera. And who knows, I could still be there. But I'm from LA and I didn't want to, you know, no disrespect. I just didn't want to be gone six months into a different city. I'd already done that type of stuff in my playing personal career. career, playing career. Yeah. But Tampa Bay was going to allow me to fly back and forth and do most of the home games, if not all of them. And be on a few road trips, but I could go home. So, I was doing 100 games, not 162. So, I got home, what, 10 days of every month. Right. And I still had, again, I still had some Fox work locally to do, too. But I did resign from the Dodgers. I was doing the Dodger pre- and post-game show. I did have to give that up, but at the time, it was worth it to me. So, point being, I I ended up taking the Tampa Bay job. It worked for two years. I had an option, but... Uh, they didn 't pick up my option, and I found out later, and you know who the guy was it didn 't pick up my option, and you know why, and you know a lot of it had to do with money right and I was shocked I went wow they didn 't pick up my option, so I come back and I find out that a m five seventy in l a had taken over the Dodgers affiliate, and I had a good friend working there and david Vasse. and i and they they were looking for uh, people to do Dodger talk. And, um, Dave gave me the phone number to the head guy, which was Don Martin. And I just called him and I said, you know what? I'd have interest in doing that. Now I had other jobs. I still had XM and all that stuff, but that wasn't the point. I still, you know, I was used to working several jobs in baseball and it was the Dodgers. I said, that could be a fun, good job. And I said, maybe I can do some games with them later on. That would be a blast. Some guys were getting a little bit older and, and, and I mean, that's the honest to God's truth is why why I took the job I I wanted to parlay that into some games and I'm being honest when I say that and that was seven years ago and I may this may be my last year who knows but I've gotten seven years out of that and that's 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 what I needed to get to this point in my life where I could start taking some pensions without having to worry about it if you know what I mean right you know what I'm saying I'm being honest when I say that My point is one opened up another, you know, one door closed, but another one opened and because of experience and I think the right attitude and I made the phone call and I had the job within five minutes. Mm. Don Martin had it approved by the Dodgers and the deal was done that day. It was done. And like I said, with him, it was done in five minutes, with the Dodgers, it was done. and, And a half hour later, I'm doing Dodger talk. And I did that for a few years. And then all of a sudden now I'm doing games with Rick Monday, which is what I wanted to do anyway. And again, so,
1: it goes, today's going to be different. Tomorrow's going to be and,
2: different. And, you know, and again, this may be my last year doing it. I thought for the last three years they wouldn't have any games left, but somehow they've worked out a package of I do minimum of 30 and probably 45 to 50, which is exactly what happened last year. And that's what's happening right now. I'm doing the next 11 games. You know, I'm going yeah, to we'll save, be
1: hanging you know, out in San Diego in a couple
2: days. I'm going to San Diego tomorrow and I'm doing the next 11 games. The final five before the break and the first six after the break and. Anyway, that's going to get me over the 45 mark or whatever. But my point being is you just got to keep positive and keep looking at doors. And you did the same thing for yourself when you found mm-hmm. a, a, a great job coming out west in San Diego. And so for people out there listening and thinking life is over and one job that you've had forever, a comfort level is there. It's almost like you said earlier how we started this show. What would you say in the seventh inning that Ken used to say to you? It's, it's the uncomfort. <laughs> Be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's being comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what you are. You're uncomfortable when you lose that because you don't know what the future is going to be. <clears throat> but I think if you have the right attitude and you have the right experience, of course, um, and you keep striving and, and, and not quitting and keep looking that another door will open for you. Another door, will open. and that's what happened to you. And that's what happened to me. Absolutely. All right. And hopefully that's it good. happens to everybody out there. Exactly.
1: That's going to do it for our podcast for this week. We appreciate you joining us. And again, our thoughts and prayers go out to the Revisa family. And we thank Ken for his friendship and all that he's lent to Absolutely. our game. Uh, that's the skipper, Kevin Kennedy. You can reach him on Twitter, Kevin Kennedy MLB. I am RBI Rich. We thank you for joining us on America's Best Baseball Podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?